Good evening. Welcome to this special edition of the Ecology Hour here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales. Tonight, we're reaching back into the KZYX archives to play a recording of a program broadcast live 30 years ago in 1992. 30 years ago this month, the coastal community of Albion rose up nonviolently against the logging of old-growth redwoods in the Enchanted Meadow Timber Harvest Plan along the Albion estuary. Back then, the land was owned by the timber corporation Louisiana Pacific and was being logged by a contractor called Pardini Logging. Earth-first activists joined with residents of Albion to sit in trees, blockade roads, and hold rallies for nine weeks until logging was ultimately stopped. In the middle of the Albion uprising, during the summer of 1992, Ernie Pardini spoke out publicly against LP's corporate liquidation logging practices. Ernie was a timber worker and LTO at the time. His uncle Mancher was the owner of the logging contractor working the Enchanted Meadow Cut. On July 16, 1992, Judy Berry interviewed Ernie Pardini live on KZYX about why he spoke out, his thoughts about the protests in Albion, and how the division between environmentalists and timber workers ultimately benefits the timber corporations. Tonight, you will hear an hour-long excerpt of the original 90-minute show. Judy Berry was an earth-first activist and organizer who was an outspoken advocate for the protection of the redwood forest as well as the workplace conditions of timber workers. In 1990, she was the target of a still-unsolved car bomb assassination attempt and was falsely blamed and arrested for it. Her estate later won a civil rights lawsuit against the FBI and Oakland police for lying about the bomb to try to smear her political work in the Redwoods. Here is Earth First organizer Judy Berry and timber worker Ernie Pardini in conversation on KZYX from July 16, 1992, 30 years ago this summer, remembering the Albion Nation uprising against Louisiana Pacific. Hi, this is Judy Barry, and this is The Environment Show. And um, I have here in the studio with me today Ernie Pardini, and I'm going to be interviewing him. So, hi, Ernie. Hi, Judy. How are you? Okay. Um, what I'd like... Ernie, a couple weeks ago, Ernie had the lead article in the Anderson Valley Advertiser in which he... Um, uh, expressed some pretty strong opinions about the timber industry and the loggers and the environmentalists, etc. I know a lot of people have probably read that, but um, I wanted to start just by you talking about who you are, who you know, and tell a little bit about yourself so people know who they're listening to. Well, Judy, thank you. I'm, uh, I appreciate the invitation here. Actually, it was the air conditioning that got me here, but but uh, <laughs> um, I. I do have opinions, yes, I do have criticisms, and I, as you see from the article, have them for both the environmental um, movement and also for the loggers. I, I try to express my feelings in terms of, of what's happening and, and maybe give some insight into what could possibly be done to, to remedy that and maybe, maybe with a little luck, uh, get some communication going between the environmental factions and the, and the loggers themselves. Um, how long have you been in this county? What's your background? How long have you been in logging? Uh, let's see, how old I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been, I was born and raised here. Uh, my great-grandparents came here from Italy uh, on my father's side. I think I uh, read about them in the UK Daily Journal once. Yeah, they, they <laughs> actually moved to Navarro, California uh, during a logging boom. Uh, built a hotel initially. Built a hotel initially um, in the days of the boom, but but my family's been in the logging industry since. 
um, in one capacity or another. And I've myself been working in the woods since I was 17. I'm now 37, so that puts, I guess, 20 years behind me. Um, I am currently a, a licensed timber operator. And are you currently employed? Uh, I'm self-employed right now. I am I am uh, starting a fledgling, struggling business. Um, it's it, it's logging in a sense. Uh, I do some some logging, some commercial logging. Um, mostly, uh, I probably by now it's clear that I, I won't do a job that I don't feel is is going to be. Um, uh, in line with with having timber in the future to log on that same piece of property um, I, but I'm not against logging logging has to be done I feel and should be done but should be done conscientiously and uh, in a conscionable manner and uh, I think that's where my complaint with is the, with the corporations that they're not doing that well, bef well, before you get into it, I also just want to establish for the people listening, um, because everybody knows that the the um, timber operator at the Albion Cut is Pardini, and I, you know, ha what relationship to you is the Pardini and Albion? Well, that's that's my uncle. Uh, he just happened to be the unlucky guy that got the bid, you know. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's that's fine. I just want people to know who they're talking to. Um, so at any rate, what you said in your article was that you left the area for a while and then you came back. And when you came back, you saw certain things that opened up your eyes. Could you describe that a little bit? Um, yeah, yes, I could. I, I, the business I'm in now requires that I'm, I'm out and about a lot. I, I see a lot of country, a lot of, a lot of the woods, because uh, a lot of times I'm looking for specific uh, products um, aside from logs themselves. Which you know require a, a good deal of of being out there looking, and uh, when I got back from New York, I was there for four and a half years. I, I found myself in areas that I had logged or, or had participated in logging ten years pr previously, um, when I worked for Masonite on Masonite lands at the time, which are now obviously LP lands for the most part, and I saw them areas that were logged when I was actively involved with Masonite that had been relogged and when I say relogged I mean relogged there was nothing left but stumps and tan oak scrub and uh, an entire new road system cut in on steep ground you know across the roads that we used when we were in there which wasn't necessary at all as far as I could see uh, except that maybe they wanted to just get them in a different direction I, I don't know why I mean there's no logical reason that I can see for that but it was done so you know the, 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 this this one thing job that sticks out in my mind it looked like a you know a checkerboard effect it was like skid roads this way and skid roads the other way and and uh, and no trees you know and I thought well you know maybe that's an isolated case and then as I saw more and more of the corporate lands I saw more and more that it wasn't an isolated case that that there is very very little timber out there on on corporation lands and yet you hadn't never said anything for all this time as have very few people um, in who work for the timber industry especially people who have whose families have been established here there's been kind of what I think has been a manipulated opposition between timber workers and environmentalists while the corporations just walked away with all the trees um, did you did you what why did you did you put a blame on this you know why were you silent what what were your feelings when you 
saw this and came back and saw the state of the uh, probably much the same as most loggers feel right now um, I came back here as a logger I mean that was my profession I, that's not what I did in New York but but I got tired of what I was doing in New York I wanted to come back to the woods and uh, and I'll probably die working in the woods in some capacity or another but um, I, I was I had mixed emotions I mean logging was my life was a tradition it, it had always been happening and always before it looked like there was always going to be enough trees and that it would be an ongoing thing with with really no concern on our part as far as as far as having um having trees to log well, why somewhere do you, down the line but, and, and why do you think this is happening well i i really never had any misconceptions about why it was happening i feel it's ha is happening because the specifically came in here with the intention of uh, buying out strong-arming masonite out of out of the area and making a quick profit and bailing out and that, that's what I felt when they moved in here and that you know that really confirms what people in Albion have said about their experience when masonite owned the land yes they logged but they didn't know what trashed out logging was until they saw no, LP we no. call it they log up to your bed sheets well um, the loggers, most of the loggers that I know, are going to do as good a job environmentally as they can mm -hmm. with what they have to work with. But if LP says, okay, this is a clear cut, cut every tree that's that's 12 inches at breast height and, and under, you're going to go in there and you're going to cut every tree that's 12 inches breast height or under. Either that or you're not going to get the job. Well, what, when you're doing that kind of job or when people are doing, because I understand you just said that you won't do that, and I think that's really principled, and I, I think that if we're going to have any forest left, it, that's the only people that are going to be able to stop it is the people can, who can say, no, I won't do this. I won't do this job that's going to put me out of work and destroy the forest. But um, in the meantime, though, as, as people are doing this job, are, do you think that very many of the loggers are aware of the fact that they're cutting themselves out of work? I think a lot of, a lot are, but don't have any choice. Mm -hmm. uh, some maybe maybe don't see it or don't want to see it, um, but are in a position that uh, dictates this way of thinking to them. I mean, they're, they've got million, a million dollars invested in in heavy equipment, you know, and they, they don't want to believe that in two years this equipment's going to be sitting in the yard with nothing to do. Which and is, I understand, LP encouraged people to invest in more equipment when they came in. Is that true? Well, uh, you won't ever hear them say that. I, I My feeling is this. When when LP bought out Masonite, um, they, they came into the area and they pretty much monopolized the timber industry in this area, which, uh, aside from a few independent mills that still operated, but very few, um, they were able to dictate logging prices. They were able to say, well, if you don't do it for this price, so-and-so will do it for this price, um, which made loggers bid jobs lower in order to ensure that they'd have work, uh, which cut their profit margins way down. But, but to compensate for this so that they wouldn't get too much um, flack from, from the logging industry, from the logging community itself, uh, at least in my opinion, what they did was they said, okay, well, you got your, a cat and a loader, and, and you're going to normally log 2 million feet a year, and you normally make uh, $50,000. Well, we're going to give you enough land to log that you can buy three times as much equipment. 
you won't make the same margin of profit, but instead of making $50,000 a year, you're going to make $100,000 a year. So instead of a ca two cats and a loader, you've now got six cats, a yarder, two, three loaders, whatever, trucks, and, and you're making more money than you ever did. But it's only at the expense yeah. of liquidating the forest. There was actually a GP mill worker once used this expression. I thought it was really good when he said that they've made the timber workers unwilling co-conspirators in the death of the forest. And I, I think that really applies to LP, if anything more. Um, you know, what you're saying about, well, that you ha don't have any choice. Yeah, I know. I used to build yuppie houses out of that redwood you cut down, you know. So, and there was the best job I could get to support two kids with. You know, I, I don't think that's really a point of contention, at least in this county. Um, you had some interesting things to say about the relationship of the environmentalists to LP, basically how the, the existence of environmentalism gave them a scapegoat to do what they wanted to do anyway. Could you go into that a little bit? Um, yeah, I, f I feel, at, now I, I, no offense intended, but I feel that the environmental movement is playing right into LP's hands. I think the loggers are. But I, I, think, <laughs> I think both are. Me too. I think, I think that, that, corp that corp the corporate timber industry is manipulating uh, the entire struggle because, as I mentioned in the in the um, in the article you saw in the Anderson Valley Advertiser, number one, it you know they're ready to bail out of here. We all they're know that. They're going to have to lay off hundreds. Of, they've already laid off hundreds of people. And they're going to lay off hundreds more, not if not directly, indirectly. Um, they've actually laid out off about one thousand employees since 1989. Of their own employees. Of their own employees. That, that doesn't count that doesn't the jippos because the, that's right, all the byproducts. So you double anything, anything least, they say they laid off. At least. You got 30 guys running a sawmill, or or 130 guys running a sawmill. You've got 400 people in the woods providing trees for that sawmill to to operate. You've got and you've got trucks hauling the lumber to the to the retail yards. You've got you know any number of of other byproduct employment mm -hmm. um, that that's gone with that. Right. But anyway, but, I, well, I got you off the track of the what, environmentalists and the. Uh, you know, in order for them, if if it hadn't been for the environmental faction, they're going to run out of timber. They're going to cut logging way back to the point they can't operate their mills. When their mills can't operate any longer, they're going to very conveniently say, we have no money left, we're, uh, there's no logs left, we got to leave. That well, makes them look like yeah. bad guys in the public eye. By having the environmental battle going, THPs are harder to get through. Uh, there's new rules coming out and regulations that have the, the uh, registered professional forcers so confused they don't know whether they're coming or going. I mean, they're in a revolving door with this thing. Um, and or, or there was a great one even in the paper, I think it was yesterday, which was um, in Mike Janella's article where he interviews, he just asked Chris Rowney about the decline in the timber cutting, and Chris Rowney says it's because of the spotted owl regulations and the towering yeah, redwoods. It's, 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 it's Mike those damn hippies. What towering redwoods? <laughs> this is Mendocino yeah, County. It's those, it's those damn hippies, you know, right. and that's what they're telling the loggers. A lot, and, and see, one thing that I feel is a real, uh, a real problem um, with with the two factions understanding one another is that number one for the most part loggers here stop logging that means stop logging everything they, they think that somebody's saying well you can't do what you've done for 150 years you know and they're not going to accept that mm -hmm. at least not without alternatives uh i know that's not what what the environmental movement is saying i mean they're mm -hmm. not saying stop all logging is that am I correct? On, That's right. That? Yeah. No, we're we're but saying do it, well, stop scale it with back the kind of logging that LP does. Scale it back. I mean, if they let LP go, they'll stop logging. Sure, that's right. <laughs> um, for the most part, but anyway, if they haven't already. Yeah. But um, 
that's what that's what they're getting. I mean, that's what I know, I know that's what they're receiving from this whole thing, and and LP is fueling that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and even saying, these, these more, guys are saying you can't you can't do what you've done for a hundred years. And and know? I think I mean they have a really this wise use movement they have behind them. It's a it's this nationwide thing, very well funded, and the purpose really is to separate environmentalists and. Um, loggers, timber workers, any any working people to keep environmental movement isolated among privileged peoples in the cities. And I think what they do is take advantages of real divisions so that actually if you look at the environmental movement nationwide, it's really true that most of the environmental movement is made up of privileged people from the city who look down their noses at rural working people who in fact live closer to the land than they do. Um, and who really don't know anything about living in the country. But I think we in this county are really fortunate in that that's not the case. Because in this case, we live here same as you, not as long as you, but we live here and we love the land the same as you, uh-huh. and we understand that you do the same as us. You are listening to an archive recording of Judy Berry interviewing Ernie Pardini on KZYX July 16, 1992, to mark the 30th anniversary of the Albion Nation uprising against LP's logging in Albion. Some context for the next part of Judy and Ernie's conversation. During this time, Louisiana Pacific and Georgia Pacific had unleashed a liquidation cut-and-run model of forestry throughout the region. Already layoffs had begun, mills were getting ready to close, and the writing was on the wall that the timber industry in Mendocino County was collapsing due to the overharvest. The Forest Advisory Committee, known as the FAC, was convened by the county to look into creating special logging rules to slow down the cut, with the goal of preserving the forest and timber jobs sustainably into the future. Ultimately, the State Board of Forestry voted against Mendocino County's proposed special rules, while LP and GP sold their timberland, abandoned their mills, and left the area. And yet, by and large, with a few exceptions, they've managed to get us fighting each other rather than looking at what's happening, um, you know, and what can be done about it. Because in a little while, I want to talk about some about your ideas of what kind of transition industries we can have to keep people working in the woods. But, um, you know, in the meantime, these woods are trashed. I mean, we're going to have to hold some of this stuff in trust to, you know, prevent it from being turned into subdivisions to prevent it. You mentioned that in your article. You said, why are the roads of such a size that they would, you know, fit the county standard for subdivisions? And to me, the problem is not whether people can survive during down periods of the economy. It's whether we're going to be allowed to survive, whether they're going to turn this into vineyards and subdivisions, because this timber gap is 50 years. They, the, their trees are, 90% of their trees are less than 40 years old. Right. They're... I mean, I I don't think a lot of a lot of the loggers out there have seen those aerial photos that I saw that you showed me, <laughs> and I, I think they would do well to look at them. Well, I've asked the press Democrat to print them, and the Ukiah uh, Daily Journal. They what, both declined. I, if I get if I had some copies of them, I'd pass them around. I mean, I'll make see, you some. But they're not seeing that. They're not they're not seeing that. I mean, you're out in the woods. Sure, you're seeing clear cut areas, but then you can see a ridge top after ridge top after ridge top after ridge top with all these nice trees on. Well, that's what they do. They leave trees on the ridge tops. You know, you're not seeing down in the depressed areas, but. Uh, Actually, in the ridge tops is where they have, where people live too. Is this well, the that's true, yeah. But it, what what I don't think the, that the loggers realize, or one of the things that I don't think the loggers really realize, is that yeah, we can wait out this lapse in in the timber industry. We can keep busy. You know, we can uh, find something to do with our cats for a few years and or 50 years even if we have to. Um, we'll have to scale down, obviously. Uh, we'll have to get more much more diversified in terms of the kind of products that we're going to be out there after. Uh, I think we ought to make a lot more 
use of what's wasted. I think there's a tremendous amount of waste that can be marketed at, at probably profits higher than what they're taking out in green trees. Um, I, I think that what's happening, it, they're not seeing that, you know, it's not just waiting for this land to, to reproduce. Yeah. It's making sure this land doesn't fall into developers' hands so that you'll never get back there to log that. You know, what's LP going to do with 100,000 acres of bare timberland? Well, that, yeah, they're going to sell it as real estate right. if it's more profitable. I think the county, I think the pressure should be put on the county the county to to pass some sort of, of law stating that what is now timberland should be zoned as such and not, and not sold as residential, as agricultural. Can, in other words, the zoning yeah. on... on I, yeah. The large timberland corporation must timberlands timberland. must stay timberland. Now, I, I think if what you know, all those fact rules and all. I mean, I, I put some effort into supporting them, and I know that a lot of effort went into writing them and et cetera. But I thought that if you could come up with the simplest possible rule to save the forest in this county, it would be timberland must stay timberland. That you could not rezone it. Right now, you can rezone it with no review. All they have to do is file a certificate right. of compliance. Um, you know. Uh, it's easier to get a timberland conversion permit than it is a, 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 a get a t timber harvest plan through. <laughs> That's you know? true. That means it's easier to go in there and knock everything down and turn it into vineyard than it is to go in there and cut a, every other tree. That's a very good point. And that's that's something else that has to be looked at. Uh -huh. And it's not restricted to the valley floor anymore. Vineyards are going up on all these ridges. Oh, yeah. There's clearing. one right above Ukiah. It's amazing. The top, very and, top of and, the ridge. You know, when the ridges are gone, they're going to terrace them like they did in Italy. Yeah. And go try to find a tree in northern Italy where the grapes grow, you know, and it's not Where Harry Merlot came from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, you had, um, when I sat at that final fact hearing, um, and I, I feel like maybe I'm just being an eternal optimist or something, but I, I think that a lot of people really know what's going on. I, I don't think that this is, it's so obvious when Joe Wheeler admits that 90% of the trees are less than 40 years old. I, you know, all these things that have been going on, it seems that a lot of people are, are beginning to really see what's right. happening. But I saw all these people waving yellow ribbons and um, cheering for their own demise. And I just, I have to say what I thought is, how long are people going to let themselves be used as chumps for the corporation? Well, I mean, I don't want to be harsh about it, but that was my thoughts at the time. Well, they're not, but you see, that's, that, that's what happens. People get so, get so involved in the battle, they lose sight of the cause. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not thinking on terms of our timberlands being, they're thinking of on terms of these people are trying to keep us from right. living and putting food on our table. Right. Well, and, when I, when and that's, you know, I can, I can understand that a little bit. Well, in your, I, I know that's yeah. not the case. In your article, one of the things that was interesting to me in particular was when you looked at this situation of, um, you know, the, the timber industry with a pre-planned, you know, idea of they were going to come in here and liquidate this place and get out using the environmental movement as scapegoats. Um, so that people would blame us instead of blaming them. And then you criticized both the loggers and the environmentalists. So um, I, I would like you to go into that a little bit. What, how you think that this could be avoided? How could we, you know, stop doing this, stop being manipulated like this? Uh, how, can we, how can we stop? Well, so that, well, could you do them one by one? One is, you know, for okay. one, the timber workers. First of all, I think I mentioned that with the timber workers that, that um, you know, they, they don't have that, and and understandably so because they're up against the wall where making a living is concerned but they don't have that they don't they're not organized i've felt for years and years and years that the timber industry should be organized there should be a timber workers union uh it should be 
it's very hard because there's so many levels of employment. I mean, there's a guy out there working in the woods. There's a guy hauling the logs to the mill. There's a guy, you know, there's a lot involved. Um, but but without any kind of organization, it's like, well, what good is it going to do for me to quit? Because Joe Blow down the road, he, he thinks it's okay, so he's going to go ahead and take the yeah, job. In fact, the timber workers that I know that have gotten fed up have quit rather than organized. Randy and Don from the LP Mill, who I interviewed on this show uh, a couple months yeah. ago, is a perfect example. I think that um, what the loggers are, are, another thing that, I, that their vision is um, clouded somewhat is before, whenever there was a lapse in, in timber growth in a large area, they had the private lands to fall back on, the big ranches, the big ranches. There were ranches of 12,000 acres, the Beacon Ranch, 35,000 acres, numerous several thousand acre ranches. And, you know, when, when corporate lands were logged off, well, hey, Joe Blow's got a bunch of revenue. Let's go buy some from him and we'll log his and we'll log this guy's and we'll log that guy's. Well, that's fine and dandy, but those big ranches aren't out there anymore. You're looking at 40-acre parcels, 100-acre parcels, 160-acre parcels. And the other thing that, that they found, and one thing about the fact is they really did a lot of research that helps us know what's going on. And one of the things they found is that among the private non-industrial landowners um, that many of them don't want to log the land. That's why they own it. Or if they do want to log it, they want to log it at a way slower rate than the corporation. So it's not like they can just start liquidating the private lands they're not available. Uh, we have another caller. Okay, you're on the air. Hi, Judy. Hi. Um, yeah, you made it this time. All right. I'm standing uh, on top of the mountain looking out over the Noyo watershed and seeing a lot of clear cuts and listening to Ernie talk about uh, the workers not being able to organize. And thinking back, I thought a lot about how the, the big strike of 47 was crushed by the company. And I wondered if Ernie's folks ever talked about that and what sense he got from uh, his elders, what kind of attitude towards the company maybe makes people continue to cave in. And I'll take my answer on the air. Good question. Go ahead. I don't think that company ever tried that in Boonville. <laughs> uh, no, uh, all kidding aside. Um, Company the LP would probably, I'm sure, would try to break a, a union. Mm -hmm. I would not allow it to. This was actually union in. lumber back in 1946, and in fact, LP right. broke their union up north. It wasn't right. even down this low in 1986. Right. And in those in those years, though, you're you're looking at immigrant crews mo mostly, uh, boatloads of immigrants came came in and were employed, all, you know, right as a group um, of different nationalities. That's um, was common of the era. And I, and I think it's a lot easier to to scare someone who's in fear of having to go back to something that's worse. Yeah, Mark Scaramella had an interesting story about his um, uh, grandparents or great-grandparents from Point Arena, his Italian grandfather who didn't speak English being just put on a boat and just left off in Guadalajara and having to make his way back. Um, I think that's a fact. Do you know about the history of the Wobblies? organizing the timber workers we can talk about that later it's no, too long as, no, but really, there no, actually was well there actually was a union and it barely came down this far south but it can't it certainly came to eureka and there were forays down but they didn't actually make it there actually was a union that succeeded in uniting all of those different factions of the um loggers with different nationalities different languages and they actually did succeed in organizing the loggers back in the 19 teens and they were crushed with a level of violence that's hard to even comprehend well, you know that and, that may be i i don't think that that, that you, they can really 
companies can really uh, exert that kind of muscle these days mm -hmm. with the with the media the way it is. Somebody bombed me. I know, Judy. I, know I mean, that that's that's that yeah, kind of muscle. But, but you're one person. Uh, I, but not I that was, you're not a very important player. No, very no, important but part I'm trying to thing. say, no, they didn't bomb me as an individual. They bombed me as a representative of a movement. Right. I'm well, trying you know to what? say they will use that kind now, of I'm force. Gonna speak, and, you know, I mean, I have to say, people who didn't know me or didn't know us or didn't know what we were about may have been fooled for a while in kind of the franticness that followed the bombing. People might have been fooled for a while by this ridiculous campaign to say that I bombed myself. But I don't think that there's very many people here that believe that. I mean, even um, Terry Susan, Lee Susan's wife, wrote me a letter um, kind of apologizing for some of the things she said during Redwood Summer during that time. And I think that those few who were fooled, I think we're past that. I mean, I think that's an obstacle to our uniting that we've passed. There's another caller, so let's take this call. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Judy. Um, you were just speaking a minute ago about um, about corporate tactics to crush movements, and um, and I think that what I was hearing in the conversation, because you were comparing something that that happened um, with with I guess it was the Wobblies um, in the 19 teens, with something that has happened a couple of years ago, and I think there's a really important difference because the political climate at that time. You know, I think that Ernie Pardini is right in saying that that won't happen again. But the thing is, the same thing happens. It's just more sophisticated and different now. Because, I mean, I think that you you understand, um, Judy, about the um, about the sophistication of Cointelpro operations. And I think that more what is done more recently is more individual picking out rather than a um, a concerted to a whole community. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That is a good point, um, but they can only do that so far. And I don't think that. The, I think if if the loggers ever got backed up against the wall, to the point that they decided to tr try and organize, I don't think that would deter them. In the least, if individuals got picked out, that would give them more incentive, and I, I really believe would give them more purpose. And you know, I think it's done. It, the it same would create for us, martyrs. Yeah. It would create martyrs. And that's what it's done to us. Yeah. And I also feel that it was easier to do in those days to crush a union. Uh, you've heard the song, I owed my soul to the company store. That's right. And we All have the former company store right in the middle of I mean, Fort you Bragg. Know, you, you, it's pretty hard to, for a guy who owes uh, three months wages, uh, you know, three months advance wages to the uh, general store that the right. company owns mm -hmm. to say no. I do. I was interested in what, um, Ernie, you had to say about with the woman, the previous woman who called up said something about, and I think that what she was leading to is some kind of um, an understanding from your family history or understanding that you have of, of um, coming from a um, tradition of logging about why do you, what maybe what you can see personally in um, in why people haven't organized do you know what I mean um, what is it that um, that holds that holds the loggers back now you know? uh well, when I when I first started thinking about organizing uh, timber workers was when I was uh, my boss subletted me and my piece of equipment to a contractor to do some highway work. Uh, it was in the winter time when logging was not going on, and I was getting eight dollars and fifty cents an hour to do run my piece of equipment. And there was uh, an eighteen-year-old girl that was standing there holding the flag all day in the shade, getting twenty-two fifty, and. Uh, I I thought to myself right then, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a trained professional, <laughs> you know, I have a, uh, yeah, I mean, this is not something that you can just learn in a, in an hour's time, 
So why am I getting 850 and she's getting 2250? Oh, she's in the union. All right, next caller, go ahead. Oh. Caller? Yes. Okay, this is Tony Pardini, oh. Ernie's brother. All right. <laughs> I just got in from the woods. And uh, Ernie, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I just want to say a couple things real quick. Is, is Judy Berry there? I'm here. Okay, Judy Berry, some of the things that you guys stand for, I agree with. Uh, some of your tactics I disagree with. Which tactics do you disagree with? Uh, I don't have time to go into that right now. Well, I'd really like to because some of them that we're blamed for, we don't. For example, we've publicly renounced tree spiking. We've renounced equipment sabotage. Um, you know, all of those things are things that are tried to be pinned on us, but we're actually against and have not done. Okay, thank you. I'll give you one example. Uh, turning a house trailer over in the middle of the truck road. Okay. Okay. That one, that one. Well, I, I know we didn't do it, but somebody did it. Okay, at our demonstration. Okay, stopping, stopping uh, men just like me from going to their jobs and uh, earning a living to feed the babies. Uh, I know Earth First stands for Earth First. Uh, I look at it as feed the babies first uh, because they're here on this earth and they're the ones that's going to be taking care of this earth. Okay, now I got something to say to Ernie. Uh, Ernie, uh, I think there's a lot of loggers that agree with a lot of things you say, but I don't think that they have the guts to stand up and say it because of the repercussions. And uh, I just want to say I'm proud of you. Standing up and, say, and talk, saying what you feel, regardless of the repercussions from other loggers, LP, or whatever. Uh, that's about all I got time for. I got to get back. <laughs> You're not doing too bad yourself there, little brother. Yeah, well, if you get too uh, too many repercussions, let me know. Give your hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I figured I could count on that. That sounds great. Well, actually, I've been pretty impressed with uh, your family, including whoever it was who wrote the other article in the Anderson Valley Advertiser last week um, that was called View from the Fence um, concerning, uh, you know, Manter and how they've loggers have been dealt a one-eyed jack quote-unquote and um I, i've been pretty impressed hearing all that stuff too but judy you got you got some good points and uh and i don't want to see the trees disappear either great well and the, as far as fe feeding the babies I have kids too I like and uh you know i i agree with that too we just feel that we're at the state that if this keeps going is none of us going to be able to feed our babies yeah um i might mention too that tony by the way is a licensed timber operator he's doing a uh, salvage logging job right now in, in, in uh, Long Low Gap. Well, so he, and I he is, yeah. he's a logger. He's it's not great. coming from just a... Okay, well, good, good. That's great. You are listening to an archive recording of Judy Berry interviewing Ernie Pardini on KZYX July 16th, 1992. We're marking the 30th anniversary of the Albion Nation uprising against LP's logging in Albion. The contract logging company in the Albion Timber Harvest Plan was Pardini Logging, owned and operated by Bob Mancher Pardini and his family. In the middle of the uprising, Mancher's nephew Ernie spoke out publicly against the rapacious logging by LP and why it was bad for the forest and the people who worked in the forest. Judy and Ernie also talk about Harry Merlot, the cartoonishly slimy CEO of Louisiana Pacific Corporation at the time. I wanted to actually ask you about your opinions about the um, protests in Albion, but I do want to, um, one, one quick response to the turned over trailer and the many other things that we've 
done um, in the last eight weeks that we've been out in the lines in Albion because Ernie in his article basically said, well, why aren't we doing things like organizing boycotts and stuff like that instead of stopping people from working? And the reason why is because we feel like this is an emergency. I mean, LP admits they've taken 90% of the trees. They're leaving anyway. They're going to leave us with nothing. And once a 600-year-old tree is gone, it's gone. And, um, you know, I, I'm really happy to see Ernie proposing alternatives because that's exactly what we would like there to happen, that people can still work in the woods without destroying the woods. But we're taking drastic actions because we feel like there's an emergency. Anyway, go ahead, Ernie. I would like to hear your opinions of the tactics, the demonstrations, etc. Can I say one more, please? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, instead of turning over, I've got friends that work for my uncle, and, and, and their, their feelings are the same as mine. Feed the babies first. And if you're going to turn a, a trailer upside down, turn it. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to cause repercussions for me. I'll never get a job on LP land again for saying this, but I don't really care. I'm going to say what I feel, just like Ernie. Uh, turn a trailer over in front of Harry Merlo's office, because I don't think that Harry Merlo is concerned about his babies. I think he's concerned about his pocketbook and that uh, case full of money that he's going to leave this county with. Thank you. You know, we did do that. Uh, we, we actually went into his hot tub at his secret Shangri-La at 3400 Skag Spring Road in Hillsburg. And if you'd all like to join us someday, we'd be, bad. We'd be glad to go back. Yeah. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll be there with you because I'm not going to get a job on LP land now anyway. Well, hey, there aren't very many more jobs on LP land for anybody, and that's really the point. And, you know, I, I, I think that we need to be aware about the people trying to make their livings, too. Um, I think it's it's real convenient that LP's got this fixed up so that you can't even directly protest against them because they don't directly do the logging. Uh, we got another caller, so I'm going to take the other caller. Thanks a whole lot for calling in. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to me. I'm proud of you, Ernie. Bye. Thanks, Tom. Hello? Yes, caller, you're on the air. Yeah, Judy, this is Rod Jones calling. Hey, Rod, how you doing? Good. Sorry I missed the first part of your program, but I've got a proposal I want to put out. I'd love to hear the Pardini's comment on it. Um, as part of the Redwood Coast Environmental Law Center, as you know, I'm affiliated with that. It's based here in Mendocino. One of our new projects we're going to be embarking on is the creation of a task force to try and look at ways at which, by which uh, forest land in Mendocino County can be returned to be controlled by people that live in Mendocino County. In other words, take the land back. Okay, and what's your plan? Let's hear it. Well, we're going to be working on it. We're going to form a task force to try and figure some alternatives about how that can come to be, whether it's a worker-owned uh, mill and breaking down the land into smaller ownerships or whatever it would take. But I think that that's one step in the right direction, and I think that's a critical one that's got to be focused on getting the, the corporate owners out of Mendocino County. Um, I'd like to know what the Pardini's response is. My response... His name is Ernie. Oh, yeah, my name is Ernie. My response is... Um, I'd like to get your phone number because I have some ideas that I think it would really, uh, really help your cause. And I'll give it to you. and uh, I think it's I think you're right. I think you're on the absolutely the right track. Uh, my personal idea was was to form a uh, a co-op of which you know a nonprofit co-op which could market um, products that are not currently known as marketable items. That I, I could enlighten you a little bit on on some of that too. Um, ways of taking waste products and, and making turning them into money. I, I'd like to get together. It sounds like you got some good ideas, and, and I'd like to share them with mine with you. Good. That sounds wonderful. I will tell you, I think I would begin resting a lot easier if I knew that there were forest lands that had 
people locally uh, concerned about it, like you and your family, that would that would take a serious look at things and try and act as real stewards of the land rather than people making barking orders from Portland or from Atlanta telling us what, what's going to happen with our forest land. Yeah, the, well, those are really good points. So, uh, there's another, and the other reason for local ownership being really essential um, is that the the whole one of the reasons that all the trees have to be stripped is because we have to pay for the outrageous profits of Louisiana Pacific, outrageous a seven point three million dollar salary of Harry Merlot, and that it all goes out of this county. That the benefit of that resource doesn't stay here, and if we could keep the benefit here, we wouldn't have to cut anywhere near as much to support ourselves. Um, Ernie, you didn't get a chance to answer yet, and I really would like to hear your answer. What you think of the demonstrations in Albion, the issues that the demonstrations are over, and what you think of the tactics? Okay, I think that, well, you're talking to a logger, so, you know, when you stop in loggers from trying to make a living, that's, I, I don't, I would never participate in something like that. I think that what you have done up to this point has been beneficial in the sense that it's gotten a lot of press attention, a lot of media attention. Now my suggestion is let's use this at media attention to start fingering LP themselves, stop picking on the little logger guys. And, uh, you know, every time that the logging has slowed down in this area, it's been because of a, a shortage of the demand. The logging boom at the turn of the century stopped cold because the San Francisco uh, earthquake damage was redone, was finished. Uh, the post-war boom in the 50s, the, uh, the logging boom in the 50s was to provide housing for the, the post-war war baby boom. Um, and that receded, and it slowed down again. Well, what's created this um, market, this large production market now, is, is foreign buyers. The export market is what's depleting our forests, not, not the domestic market. We can supply our domestic market um, and without, without doing any long-term damage to the forest. Mm -hmm. But when you start selling, you know, the reason the Japanese are paying money for so much money for, for the United States forest products because they cut all their own down. Right. You know? And, and, and that's the place that we're heading, yeah. too. If and they're we still out there after the whales. Right. <laughs> they haven't learned. We, we have another caller. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Uh, this is one of the protesters from up in Albion. I was out there on the line. I was there the morning we uh, dumped that travel trailer. You know, it's really wishful thinking to think that we really stopped the loggers. Uh, at most, we stopped them for two or three hours a few times. And it's certainly been an issue with me uh, to try and decide whether whether I could in good conscience even stop somebody for a few hours. But I know those timber followers make a couple hundred dollars a day, and uh, it seems to me that if we stopped them for an hour, it wouldn't break them. And the other thing is, in order to participate in that action, I, I voluntarily took off a couple of weeks uh, of my job in order to, to because I felt that strongly about it and I know whenever I stopped someone it wasn't because they voluntarily wanted to stop but I would really like to figure out some way to uh, to organize particularly the timber fallers who seem to be the real key in this issue and who seem, who also aren't as under you know they don't make 8.50 an hour they make a lot more if we could get and they also make piece work Hmm? Which is, I mean, they don't get paid by the hour. They get paid by how much they cut. And I think that's, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just adding that information to you. That's right. They get paid by what they do. And if, if we could organize, if they would organize, if we could figure out some way that they would organize into a guild and only do what they felt they in good conscience could cut, I think we'd have the, we, we'd uh, be a long way towards uh, solving this whole thing. Real men don't cut pecker poles. Go ahead, Ernie. Um, 
Yeah, but we have to understand there is um, all, all you know. There used to be timber fallers, and there are still some timber fallers, but anymore with the size of the timber, the the degree of talent is greatly reduced. It's necessary to do the job. Basically, anybody that can speak enough English to tell the hardware clerk he wants to pay for the chainsaw he's buying and get somebody out in the parking lot to show him how to pull the rope, he can be a timber faller and LP or somebody else will hire him. Yeah, brush cutters. This is the logger um, that's, from, that's from my, Covalo that keeps saying term. there's no timber fallers but anymore. The, All we got now is brush there, cutters. There are a few, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're becoming scarce. I mean, and, you, you know, anybody can do it now. I mean, anybody, if, if you get these guys out there don't know what they're doing, just slinging uh, sawdust, and you don't know what's going to happen. I mean... Well, you know, on on that Albion cut, on the Enchanted Meadow cut, some of that stuff, uh, some of the job, some of, of it was what one would say was actually a fairly good uh, cut where they were marked trees that they were falling. And, they, and uh, as far as I could tell, most of the fallers that were employed were uh, professional timber fallers. They weren't... Uh, just people, uh, brush cutters, as you call them. You're right. In, in that particular instance, I happen to know that for a fact. Yes, they are timber fallers. But they they couldn't see, at least with my contact with them, they couldn't see that what we were trying to do, I mean, all they could see was this one job, and they couldn't see that what we were trying to do was stop a, a destruction that was going on that was over the whole watershed. Exactly. That's why, that's why there is a need for a communication between both factions and and that's what we're working to do um i don't i think there's a lot of I, i'm finding out things that i that i was unaware of i mean i've been following this and and feeling sad because i didn't know how to how to uh treat the situation you know but but there's a lot that i'm still finding out that i didn't know that from the environmental side um, and I keep I, I hate to use that word again. I hate Side. the word environmentalist, actually. Uh, yeah, you know, but what, for the time being, I guess it'll have to do. But uh, I, I'm still finding out things that I was unaware of. I saw a photo, an aerial photo the other day that Judy showed me that blew me away. And I'm already know they're doing, they're devastating the, their timberlands. And I only showed you one of them. I have uh, I have photos that were taken by Nick Wilson. Um, that one of them shows 20 square miles of redwood clear cuts from in between Willits and Fort Bragg, and the other shows 16 square miles, and the two pictures are side-by-side side geographically. So you only saw half of what I actually had to show. Well, I've, so. been, I've been out there on top of those mountains, too, but looking you, down. You are listening to an archive recording of Judy Berry interviewing Ernie Pardini on KZYX July 16, 1992 to mark the 30th anniversary of the Albion Nation uprising. You know, and another thing I want to say about the protesters, protester, I guess you're still on the air, um, some of whom are, are using their names and some of whom can't use their names. And, you know, some of the protesters, many of the, the most of the, it's based in the area, people who live there, and many, many of the people who live off the land in one way or another, either as fishermen and women or as, the, you know, one of the people owns a small mill that we work with, you know, I mean, and, and so there isn't really this conflict of whether we can use the woods or not. I I think we agree on that, that these woods could support us if they weren't abused is really That's the right. issue. That's right. It's like, it's like going out in the garden when you plant your carrot seeds and, and they all come up uh, like 90 million in a row and there's no airspace in between. You go out and you, you thin them and that makes the rest of them grow well. Um, 
that's that's just a, that's the same concept that can be used in the timber industry. Right, and they but like you don't go out and pull up all your baby carrots and throw them out. Right, you know, you got nothing left but dirt. Yeah, and they like to compare it with wheat. Well, boy, they don't even let them grow to the maturity. That would be like if every time that your wheat sprouted, you pulled it all out. Is what they're doing. They're not letting trees even grow to maturity. They're not letting them grow long enough to produce cones or to have right. genetic recombination. They're just degrading we, and degrading the it, forest. When you cut, you know, it does take a regeneration period. But when you take a forest of 30-year-old trees and you wipe them all out, you clear-cut them, then you've got the volume that you have can't even compare that with that that you would have ultimately have if you took those 30-year-old trees and you took out a third of them and went back in another 20 years, another third, and then, and then by that time more regeneration would be coming. Uh, and so what if somebody chains themselves to your log truck or dumps a travel trailer in front of your job to stop them from cutting all of the 600-year-old trees or all of the 30-year-old trees so that that can... I mean, I, I, I want to know, you say that, that's that, why that environmentalists are saying, or that people think environmentalists are saying stop logging without any alternative, but I feel like you're saying stop protesting without any alternative. No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. Uh, That's what I, we do for a living. No, not really. Um, <laughs> no, I, jobs, I don't, you know, I don't have any jobs. objection to protesting. I, I protested myself. First thing, I mean, I've gone, I've gotten in a logging truck and went down and drove it around or rode in it around and around the Capitol building in Sacramento protesting uh, what we felt at the time was unfair uh, government pressure and regulation on on. To be honest with you, I can't remember exactly what the issue was, but <laughs> I was down there carrying signs, you know. It was the spotted owl, I remember that one. <laughs> threat, no, this was years ago. Oh, oh okay. Threatening to cut down the trees on the on the Capitol lawn, you know. So, no, I, I have nothing to We climbed those trees I, on the Capitol lawn. I organized, I was the president of student council and organized a high school boycott that lasted for four days. So, you know, I'm not against protesting. I I think that it's not enough to, to, to say, well, we're not going to let you work today. you got to tell them why. That's why we have to communicate. Right. They, have to, they have to understand why you're yeah. doing it. The, the, the two groups can come to terms, and I think they will understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and maybe we can find a way to do it that doesn't... Doesn't affect them too adversely. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, in be, uh, right now, I think we have a clear board for a minute, so while we have this break from the calls... Um, Ernie has got all this really great poetry that I was wondering if I could get you to read one of these poems of your choice. Would you be willing to and do she's that? really going to set me up for as a target here. <laughs> well, this is just something I uh, threw together the other night when I, when I was uh, up on the coast, and it goes like so. It was in the house of Harry Merlot around the year of 99, at least as rumor has it anyway. The events took events took place that would boggle the mind and they say it went this way his son ran into the parlor from off the desert sands and approached his ever frowning dad why is it always so hot around here and why do you seem so sad son I was just remembering back to the years when more people were here but unlucky for them when the air was all gone they couldn't afford survival gear but you still didn't tell me why it's so hot there are things I feel I must know. All the things that I see in the books that you have, where did, they, where did all of them go? Son, they were just stupid, they couldn't see. And I steered every move that they made. I remember those days when there were still trees and a man could even find shade. In answer to your question about why it's so hot, well, it might cause you a moment of shame when you realize the reasons lie under this roof and there's history attached to your name. 
They fell for the bull, son, without hesitation, and they channeled all the money to me. But the last laugh is theirs, for with all of my wealth, on this earth there is now only me. That's it. Short all right. <laughs> Lagging to infinity. <laughs> okay, so um, Mancher, as I understand, I was asked to ask Ernie one of the questions I was asked. Is, the first question I promised somebody I'd ask you is, who is Mancher? And Mancher, we understand, is uh, Bob Pardini, the... Um, person who actually has the logging job in Albion. One, one thing sticks out in my mind is that uh, someone who's good at what they do and have done it all their life and have worked hard to make to get to where they are and I know for a fact because I was my uncle's first employee and we busted it our hump from daylight till after dark from before daylight till after dark seven days a week first summer um, you know on a shoestring and it was hard work, but he made it. And it's hard to say to someone like that, quit. You can't quit. Mm -hmm. Don't know how to quit. But there's not going to be any trees. Does, I mean, surely he knows that. Well, some of the more ingenious ones will find something else to do. Uh -huh. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's really hard to understand unless you, someone came to you, Judy, and says, you can't play the violin anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm taking your violin. You can't play anymore. How would that make you feel? Um, yeah, I, I know. I, under you know, I understand the whole. I mean, I understand the issue of trying to displace yeah. people and put them somewhere else. Well, and I agree really with your basic principle of finding something else that we can do without destroying the earth, but still being to live, able to live off the forest, still being able to live a rural lifestyle. Yeah. And I really do feel that's something that it's, these city environmentalists don't get is the bonding uh, to the land. That when you live in a in in the kind of place that we live, the kind of feelings you have about the land aren't really something you can describe very easily right. or that can transfer very easily and you know um, there are there are many many ways to make a living from the forest without cutting down the live trees in in a pinch mm -hmm. I mean there's people out there and I'm really surprised that the major timber corporations haven't had enough insight to market some of this stuff themselves there's incredible there's incredible don't you know, tell I'm not going to tell <laughs> we I'm don't not want LP don't coming want in here and starting no. doing that or we're anyway I'm sorry Ernie you can finish your thought oh no, that's quite all right um, I've said I pretty much I, what I need to say and uh, I appreciate your having me on here I appreciate being able to having this forum to communicate through okay well you know you're you're always welcome to have access or anybody else who has this show would be glad to let you on also uh, we really appreciate you coming on standing up and saying the things I agree with your brother I, I think that um, your family's pretty incredible oh. well thank you I'm sure they'll appreciate that too okay alright so um, this is the, the environment show and we're signing off for this Thursday I'll be back in one month this time I don't really have a weekly show so I'll be back next month and thank you all for listening this is KZYX and Philo This has been a special edition of the Ecology Hour, remembering the Albion Nation uprising that began 30 years ago this month. Earth First organizer and activist Judy Berry interviewed timber worker Ernie Pardini on KZYX in Philo on July 16, 1992, after Ernie spoke out against the destruction of the forest by Louisiana Pacific Corporation. His uncle, Mancher Pardini, was the contract logger on the timber harvest plan in Albion that was ultimately shut down after two months of tree sits, road blockades, rallies, and lockdowns. Judy and Ernie Pardini remained friends and allies until her death from cancer in 1997. I'm Alicia Bales. 
Thank you so much for listening. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.